DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah Jazz hosting the Charlotte Hornets tonight. Are you sick of the winning streak? No. Just me talking about it? No. Eight in a row. No, absolutely not, no. Well, you just went right to nine in a row with Washington. I'm totally expecting them to win, for sure. Uh, I think we all are. It's seven straight after the win over the Knicks, 12 out of 13. They're going to lose again. They're going to lose multiple games again, but I don't want it to be tonight. So how much of this do you have to do just to keep pace with the others in the West? Because I've talked about how the Lakers haven't lost to a sub-500 team. The, the Thunder are now on a great run. Is this just what they're going to do unless they're playing each other? We got that kind of separation in the West? I think so. It doesn't matter as much to me, though. To me, it's about what is your team doing by itself. As long as you're playing good ball this year, I don't want to hear last year was, oh, my gosh, we don't want to get in that 4-5 or five series because we're going to get worked by Houston. I don't feel that this year. You may get wor- You may lose. If you get to 4-5, you may get – you're going to get a really good team. You're probably going to get a really good team no matter what. So what difference does it matter what really good team? So I'm, if they end up four, I'm not going to stress, oh, they got to beat the five, and now they got to beat the one in the second round. I get all that, uh, but I don't care. Let's see what you got. I think your team, speaking of the Jazz, is capable of competing with any of those teams, right? They're, they're still holding steady at a game at a second. I think they're tied with Houston now for fourth and fifth, and you got the Clippers in there and Denver ahead of them. Uh, so it's basically, all right, fine, so be it. You're going to play quality teams probably in every round as long as you survive, and I don't have any problem with that. And it's not, I don't feel like I've felt in the last couple of years the ceiling, the limit, we knew where it was. We thought, okay, maybe they can win that first-round series. And if they do, they're going to get stomped in the second round. Or last year, yeah, it's going to be tough. I don't feel that way this year. I mean, like, they have a decent chance to beat no matter who they play in the West. All right, DJ, PK, and David Locke joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Jazz have won seven in a row, and they absolutely uh, destroyed the Knicks. How far do you see this streak going? Is it Indiana on the 20th? I mean, the logic is that you drop one here somewhere. I mean, you just... You know, you don't have a 100% win probability. You might be favored, but favored means you're, you know, likely to win 55, 60, 65% of the time. So if you were flipping a coin that way, you would not get seven straight. So they've, you know, I, I don't know when, but uh, you drop one somewhere in here that you're not supposed to in theory. I don't know if that if that actually happens, but that's, that's what you'd expect. I don't know if it's Washington or Brooklyn or... Um, New Orleans is really good. New Orleans is really good. So, um, uh, New Orleans' record is stunning to me. Um, how good they were against us, and then they dropped the next one out. I, I'm kind of lost on what's going on there. Um, the numbers on them have been great for the last two years, and then they underperform. I'm a little surprised by I, – I almost still pick them to be the eighth playoff team, but, boy, they just can't keep – you know, they're, I think, five back in the loss column. That gets to be an awful lot. How legitimate is Jordan Clarkson as far as contributing what he's been able to contribute the rest of the season? So I think we talked about this, PK, when I was when they first got him. He's played 28 games prior to coming to Utah in his NBA career for a good team. And the other games he played weren't just on bad teams. 
they were on NBA teams that don't win as many games as college teams. And in those 28 games in the regular season with Cleveland, he was really good. He was about 46% from the field, 40% from three, really strong plus minus. Um, he was really, really good. That's pretty much what he's been for us so far, a little under those 46-40 numbers. I, I think what we're seeing out of Jordan Clarkson is it's pretty legit. So Niang's got a bigger role. Can he keep doing what he's doing? Is this a real deal, or is it too small a sample size to know what he's going to give you in the long run? So the things that I think you can get out of George Niang is he's going to play hard every night. He's going to do the right thing every night. Um, sometimes there's going to probably be nights where athletically the mismatch is hard for him, but it's not as hard for him at the four as it is at the three. That's a, night, that's a change the coaching staff made. made an enormous difference. Um, I think that you... Um, I, so I think that, you know, those aspects are legit. What's he shooting? 55% from three over the last 10 games. So that's, I mean, it does feel like everything he puts up is going to go in and he's pretty open, but that seems a little high. Like I, you know, I, there haven't been a lot of guys in the history of the game that have, have done that for an extended period of time. So unless he's suddenly Kyle Korver of a few years ago, I think that'll drop, but that doesn't mean he's not 45% or you know, and Boyan's been 22% recently, so you equalize those two out, and we're still just as good a shooting team. So I think, you know, the Jazz have been able to do a lot at that power forward position with players who, you know, I, 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 probably fair to say we're on their last leg, right? Tabo's not doing much in Houston. Jonas is now in Europe. Um, Joe Johnson was done. So the Jazz have found a way to, to use that position really effectively with players with skill sets that, that match what they need. And, you know, I think George is, fits into that. And then just his energy and effort and how he plays is great. Like, he just – so there's there's something to it. There's also – there's a bigger picture thing going on in the league right now that niche players – so a niche is probably not the right word, but Duncan's and three-point shooters, Davis Bertans, Duncan Robinson, J.J. Redick to some extent, but he's probably more versatile than that. One-dimensional dunkers, Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside, Jared Allen, Rashawn Holmes. These players actually are increasing in value because the league is so dead set on denying the rim and the three that those players that are still such good talent that they can get those shots are more valuable than ever before, and I think George fits into that. Where do you think Tony Bradley fits into that? Is he an emerging player? I don't know yet. Let's let Tony keep developing. Turn 22 the other day. There's some things he's doing that are really high level. His, his hands are terrific. He runs the floor and just changes who he are the way he runs the floor. He, he won the New Orleans game by stealing two possessions. I mean, there's a lot of those plays through a night, but, like, gosh, you win a game by two points, and Tony outruns the defense for – two buckets in that night and grabs one or two offensive rebounds. Like, those are plays that win games. That's the difference between, I tell you, a seven-game win streak is those kind of plays. So he's been, he's been, you know, doing a lot of great things. His fouling is still at too high a rate. When he thinks he's vertical, he's not. Um, and, you know, those are issues that as we progress and play better teams, I think will be more difficult for him. There aren't a lot of great backup centers in the league, though, so we've had a luxury of having the best for 14 minutes a night the last year, so I think we have a little bit of a skewed point of view on that, but 
Um, when it gets to playoff time, it's going to be interesting to see whether Tony's really ready. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. You've been coming on weekly for years with us, and you uh, have preached for a long time the importance of the three-pointer. Now, that can mean a couple things. One, you got to make a high percentage of them. The Jazz are at 39%. That is number one in the NBA by more than a full point, which is a lot. So that is an excellent number. But they're 19th and three points attempted. And I remember you talking about Houston a few years ago saying, you gotta, you got to take them to make them. Should the Jazz be shooting more threes, even if it brings that outrageously good three-point percentage down, because you're probably, you know, they probably aren't as wide open, as good of threes available. What do you think? an interesting question. You know, last year San Antonio and the LA Clippers were 1-2 in the league in three-point shooting, and neither of them took a lot. So, it gets into an interesting math equation. I've actually been trying to play around with it a little bit of like, okay, so you have 80 shots a night, and we kind of know now at this point that of those 80 shots, there's a certain amount that are going to be, you know, probably 20% of them have to be mid-range. So, you know, that's whatever, one-fifth of of 80, I'm not, what's that, 17 or 18, um, you know, then you're going to have a certain, ideally, you'd have 40% at the rim and 40% of threes. The rim, I think, is the most important thing. You've got to keep just pounding at the rim and keep it 36, 37, 38% at the rim. Uh, and then, so what is better at that point? Is an open mid-range two better than a contested three? The answer is actually closer than you think. It's probably still a contested three in the sense that you're uh, spreading the defense, um, that you've worked for the possibility of other shots, and in the long run, if you're not taking that shot too early in the shot clock, more often than not, you'll get a better shot. But it gets close. It gets interesting, at least, in in the discussion. Um, I think the key is that you you really have to take – you've got to just be careful of what you're doing when there's still 10 seconds or 12 seconds on the shot clock. You know, the mid-range shot when you still could develop an open three somewhere in that possession is the one that probably needs to be avoided. Okay, how about Mitchell's mid-range game? Because it seems like it's substantially better. Are you okay with it? Um, it's outrageously good right now. Uh, the biggest one on Donovan, he's, you know, we're talking about growth. He's using 8% of his possessions, that includes turnovers, to shoot a free throw. If there's any way he could get that up to 10 or 11 percent it would really help him a great deal in being efficient um it would make it right now he has to be really really good to be efficient like shoot you know 50 percent from the field and some really difficult numbers so if he could get that free throw number up a little bit and i think you know if you're taking more shots at the rim than that floater you probably can get your free throw line number up a little bit he has, the coaching staff has done a brilliant job and then Johnny Bryant and Donovan Mitchell have done a brilliant job of of working on his floater and changing the angles by which he's coming into taking it. Early in the year, the floater was always dead set, full steam ahead, you know, straight at the dropping big, going a million miles an hour and trying to well on the move, float it up with touch. That's a that's that's got to be the most difficult. Well, that is the most difficult shot in the league because it's the lowest percentage shot. If you watch him now, he's coming in from the side. His jump seems to be more vertical than horizontal. He's worked incredibly hard to turn what was an inefficient shot into a more efficient shot. He's been outrageous at it recently. He's about 60% over the last 12 games. That actually can't last. No one has ever done that. It's right up there with George Nang's 50% three-point shooting. So, there, 
if he relies on that to be efficient, I, I don't think he'll end, end well. But he has improved on it greatly, if that makes sense. So do you think he and Boyan can both get to the free throw line more? Because they both get there quite a bit. They both shoot it pretty well. It seems like if they bump that five free throws a game or so that they're shooting, bump that up a little bit, that would seem to be a big advantage. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's a lot, right? It's probably just six or seven free throws. It's not, um, um, you know, it's not a – not, I'm not talking about a huge number. I'm not saying, like, he's got to go to ten. You know, for him, over a hundred possessions. If he could, you take one or two more possessions to go to the free throw line. So on a given, that's you know one or two or three free throws over a five game span. We're not we're not talking about a lot. You know, it's maybe one a game, maybe even a little less than that. If Royce Young is the one who goes to the bench when Conley comes back, and I don't know what's going to happen, how do you think that transition back to coming off the bench would work if it does? Um. You know, I think Royce is one of the great team guys in the league, and so um, I think that, you know, I think she would be fine. Um, And I think, obviously, you know, what you're alluding to is that Joe has been so great as a starter. It seems, you know, whether that's actually what happened or just Joe got himself going, I'm not entirely sure. Um, But, you know, it's clear that, you know, Joe is one of our better players. I mean, he's great, so I think that there's – you certainly probably, Joe, has to say. The one that gets interesting to me on Royce that we can't undervalue is how great a rebounder he is right now. He's our second-best rebounder. He's in the 94th percentile of um, of all rebounders in his position, according to cleaning the glass, um, for you know a team that's really playing quite small, right? We've got the biggest guy in the league, but Boyan and, and Royce are, our, are, are kind of our wings, and they're small. Um, he's vital, and... I, I don't know, honestly, how we close games without him on the floor. Now, that's not – luckily, I don't have to try to figure that out. But I'm watching, and he's making one or two rebounds a night that are key game-clinching rebounds. And you go back to that Clipper game earlier in the year where we probably haven't won, but we don't grab those rebounds. Um, he's been – Royce is – it's incredible to me how you're watching a game and you think to yourself, gosh, we need – oh, Royce did it. We need a little, oh, Royce did it. He's just terrific. So really, Quinn Snyder has three, there's probably three or four scenarios for him to consider as whenever Mike Conley is healthy. And one of them solves everything. They need Conley back because somebody else gets hurt and they plug Conley into whoever that is, whatever their role is, and and takes those minutes. So that's one, and that just solves itself. But the other is what happens to the starting lineup, which I think is Royce goes to the bench and Conley goes in. What happens to the closing lineup? And then also just where do all those minutes come from? Because on another team, it'd be easy to say, well, he's a point guard, so the guy's getting the back of point guard minutes is out. But Moutier is playing better and better. So is Conley going to take a few minutes from everybody to get his minutes or is somebody going to sit and what happens to that closing lineup I mean let's go to Moody for a second and boy Aaron Falk at utahjazz.com wrote just a terrific piece on Moody so everybody make sure they go to utahjazz.com and and check out Aaron's Aaron's piece on that Aaron does great work um but Moody is one of the great stories of the year um he's such a good kid I haven't really gotten to know him well and I actually am going to based a little bit on what all the New York people were talking about yesterday who do know, did get to know him in the year and a half he was there, of what a wonderful guy he is and how happy they were for him that he's had success. But you're absolutely right. He's suddenly learned how to use all of his talents and all of his skills 
in a manner that makes him an incredibly valuable player, doing it inside the concept, buying in, you know, willing to alter who he is and change, which had, you know, led him to a lot of success. Maybe not, you know, we, we think about it as analysts. Oh, he wasn't fishing. You know, hey, he'd made, you know, millions of dollars and been a top 10 pick playing one way. Hard for that guy to commit that, oh, I need to do something differently. And, and he just did, which is, you know, really pretty awesome. And so you're right, DJ. I think the easiest answer on this whole thing would have been, you know, two weeks ago, well, Mike Conley comes back and you just poor Emmanuel Moutier made a lot of progress, but now Emmanuel Moutier is on the bench. And guess what? I, I don't know that you can do that any longer. Um, he's been, frankly, too good. And so it, it is it is going to be a tricky, complicated reintegration of Mike Conley. Um, I think there's I think there's some things that have happened over the last few weeks that are really good for the long run of this team. It reminds me, I can get into it if you want me to, it reminds me of the Denver Nuggets of a few years ago. Um, but it's going to be complicated. At the same time, if we were on the air right now doing a talk show and we had a chance to trade, so this team's won seven in a row, 12 or 13 as it is, you know, it's got its strengths, got its weaknesses, and we had a chance to trade for Mike Conley at the trade deadline like we did last year, we would be over the moon for that opportunity and believe it's the piece that would push us toward a real championship contender. And I think that's still true. It was a tough integration early. He's going to figure out how to come back. Hopefully he's healthy. That's, I think, the most important thing. But if we traded right now nothing for Mike Conley to add a team that won seven straight in 12 of its last 13 and beat you know, Philadelphia and Milwaukee at home this year and the Clippers on the road, we would be thinking this is the piece that pushes us over the top into being a true championship contender, and I still think that's the way it should be viewed. How much do you think that Quinn makes these decisions with an eye on how the team's playing now and how to play the next couple weeks? And how much does he make these decisions based on you probably need Conley's playoff experience when you get in what looks like is going to be a very difficult Western Conference postseason? I mean, I think the brilliance of all these coaches in this league that we don't understand as Twitterers and talk show hosts. And I certainly didn't get it when I hosted a show every day. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, you have some moments as a 49 year old looking back on your twenties and thirties as a talk show host with some embarrassment. My lack of understanding of how coaches coach for 82 games is on about the top of my list. Right. So um, you're absolutely right, DJ. Their decisions are not, made about the final five minutes of a game on a Thursday night. They're usually made with what is the long-term ripple effect of that decision. And I think you're right that, you know, um, if the Jazz are going to be able to, to match up with the, the incredible length and prowess of the Lakers and the defensive um, ability of Avery Bradley and Kawhi, or excuse me, of uh, Patrick Beverly and Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George and what the Lake Montrose Herald, what the Lakers, the Clippers might be able to throw out there. I think they're going to need to have Mike Conley as a important piece of that rotation. And here's the thing that's really positive. If you go and look at three and four man lineups in the NBA right now, the Jazz are the best, and there's three or four, Milwaukee, Utah, Houston, have Denver, they have the best there are in the league. The, the, the core groups, the Jazz, primary guys, even with all of our struggles early in the year, they were all bench struggles, if we remember correctly. So when you put Bogdanovich, Ingles, O'Neal, and Gobert on the floor, not even Donovan, 
That's the best four-man group in the NBA. It's plus 18. Now, you just start integrating pieces around our core three- and four-man groups, and we should be great. I mean, I'm really – I actually went on some number dives recently and just, you know, really everything I came up with was pretty stunningly encouraging. And that last one is maybe the most important, that we – all of the little negativism that we might still have lingering from, wow, what happened – was related to the fact that we would go up 10 and fall behind by two by the time the starters got back in the floor. When Jeff Green was on the floor, and I'm not saying this was Jeff Green's fault. This is just factual. When Jeff Green was on the floor, in over half of his games, he was minus eight or more. That's incredible because he was only playing 15 to 20 minutes a night. So that was the equivalent of being blown out by 25 or 30 Half the times he was on the floor. Now, that's not fair. That's not Jeff's fault. But that group, as it was, that's the number that was there. So that's not on Jeff. But that issue seems to have been rectified. So now, all the things that were incredible, when the Jazz went to Memphis on the road after getting blown out twice in a row, their starters were still plus 13 for 100 possessions in, in that stretch of time. And you're wondering, can you just get them out on the floor long enough to be able to, to – to hold off the bench's inadequacies. Well, if the bench doesn't have inadequacies and your starters are still plus 13, lights out, Irene. And we will leave on that note. David, thanks for a few minutes as always, and we will hear you on the call as the Jazz try to extend the win streak. Thanks a lot. Hey, PK. Yeah. I hope you're great, man. I hope you're absolutely terrific today. I am great. I couldn't be better. Well, I mean, I know you're great. I hope you feel great. I mean, I didn't doubt your greatness. Don't misunderstand that. Uh-huh. I mean, I know per- firsthand your greatness. But, I mean, I just hope your world's good and you're awesome. <laughs> Getting better every day. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. DJ and PK getting you up to speed on everything you missed this morning. Next. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? Sam Amick from The Athletic. I'm starting to believe that this could be real. I'm not saying they're going to win an NBA championship or anything, but I think they've got a chance to contend at least. They do. More than most recent years, this is a landscape where you can feel that way. Still a ton of focus on the two L.A. teams. Beyond that, though, we don't know what to think of Houston, Denver, but if you want to talk about stability, longevity, chemistry, coaching, Utah, it's right there. I didn't think this type of a turnaround was going to happen three weeks ago when we were talking here. Here we are. Turn this up. Catch the Big Show. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Time to discuss everything we've talked about in the previous three and a half hours and get you up to speed if you missed any portion of this show. The BYU basketball team woulda, coulda, shoulda, heartbreaker without Yoli Childs on the road at St. Mary's. And they lost in OT, 87-84. I kept waiting for St. Mary's to drop some 14-3 run on them or something and blow that thing open. It never happened. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see that against the Cougars <clears throat> this year. Yeah, they certainly didn't I see mean, it in that game. They were a senior-laden team. They were finally down seven. I mean, for a long, In the middle of the game, in the middle of the second half, uh, uh, Roxy Bernstein on the call said, that St. Mary's biggest lead has been six. And then they got it to seven. There was a timeout with like two minutes and 50 seconds left. Yeah. And BYU wiped that out and forced yeah, OT. Yeah, that's nothing, a seven-point lead. Yeah. Toulson and Hawes were really, really scoring. Big games, 29 to 24. 
had big shots. Toulson with that big three straight away. Haas had a big three in overtime, plus the game-time dunk. Yeah, that game-time dunk. Jeez. Anybody playing defense around here? Well, they were. They <laughs> set up, he beat a split. It, they set up. Uh, <laughs> it was a pick-and-roll. He's on the right side. It was high. And he was going to go left, and the guy's looking for the screen, and he just goes the <laughs> other way. And the guy's just like, who went where? There's nobody there. Nope. There's no help. Yeah. Uh, uh, once he split that, and wide open. Yeah, I have no no form of criticism for these guys. It's just unfortunate. I hope for them it won't be a season of what if, because to this point it's a season of what if. They're 12-5 and five with three overtime losses. 15-2 and, more, and two more is than that, so close. Their best player isn't playing. He's now missed Out 10, 10 full games plus the end of the Utah and game. You disappointed me. I told you. I gave you big-time breaking news. I wanted to... Bulletin on Channel 2. Police say Yoli Childs is out for tonight's game. <laughs> Did you like that, Yuck? Police say. <laughs> Authorities say. Well, that's your big thing. Police say. In Police TV say. News. <laughs> officials say. Authorities say. Yeah. So I, I gave you breaking news and you didn't go with it. Well, I was busy working on some yellow tape on uh, seven different I locations. I gave you breaking I... news and then I find out you didn't even go with no it. No yellow tape. At least Yach apparently put it out on Twitter. I went back and looked. But I wanted both of you as big breaking By the time I saw your text, it was all over Twitter. It wasn't breaking news. I should have gone a little more heavy with it. Should have put breaking on it. You're yeah. Right. An uppercase? Yeah. All capitalized. I mean, my Just time is coming. It's your world gone. now. My time is coming, gone. So are you like the ghost from the afterworld? <laughs> my time is coming, gone. You're just a dead, decaying carcass over there. Put it out on Twitter yourself if you're so sure. <laughs> I was sure. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I don't. Do, uh, all the only things that goes on Twitter is Yak doing all the whatever interview we had, and he retweets promoting it or stuff whatever, or whatever. And, right? And I don't even do that. He does it. Way to go, Yak. <laughs> You're welcome. So BYU's got to go without Yoli now against Portland. We had Andy Katz on, and he talked about the importance of not losing those games to the bottom half of the league like they have in the past. Mostly on the road, but a couple times at home. Last year it was USF and USD that came in and won at the Marriott Center, and that wrecks everything. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the games last night, all the college games, and I see on the bottom – uh, Gonzaga 50, USD oh. 14. I mean, what was that? It was 53-14 at the half. <laughs> like, holy Jeez. cow, man. Did you play a high school team tonight? What are you doing? What a butt kicking. I don't think they're going to lose to those teams. I don't think so either because they're defending so much better. Typically when they lost those games, they were losing games that were in the 80s. And this game last night was in the 80s because of overtime. I just think they got seniors, man. Seniors, seniors who want to defend and want to get to the NCAA tournament one time in their well, career. You're senior. By definition, you're desperate. This is your last go-around. This is it. And so you want to do very, very well. And now if you're a senior, it's like, well, man, you must be a player. Nobody sticks around if they're a senior and not a player. If they think they can do anything, they transfer. Grass is greener some yeah. you know, place. And I realize Toulson is one of those transfers. Uh, but he came back home in an unusual situation. And he's a scorer, too. He's not just an outside shooter. He finds ways to use his body and get in there. So hopefully they don't lose these games to these lesser-ranked uh, or profile teams, and they can hold water until Yoli gets back, and they can have a great February run. And They deserve to be in the tournament. Portland at home tomorrow night, 7.30. The Utes are in Boulder Sunday to face 25th-ranked Colorado. 
uh, difficult stretch here. They got Colorado, and then they're going to have the Arizona schools the week after that. You give them a shot on the road in Boulder? I do, yeah. Really? Uh, give them a shot? Yeah. yeah. Four yeah. o'clock ESPNU if you want to watch it. I don't think this year that there's any stretch of gimmies in this conference. The bottom of the league is that much better? Well, because you're going to get, like, Stanford Cal. Cal isn't very good, but Stanford looks good. ASU looks okay, but Arizona's pretty good. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So, so on any given week, yeah. you're getting at least one good team. Yeah, exactly, yes. So, like, at home, is, is the they LA, got Oregon is, State. Is the L.A. trip going to be the easiest combo? It might be. Might be, yeah. Do they? But and then I have to check, do they go there? Because these schedules are... You know, they're, I'm looking forward to 20 games next year instead of 18. I want 22. I, I'll, I'd vote for that. I would vote for that in a heartbeat. Everybody home and away. I, I'm totally good start with that. Start at Thanksgiving. It I seems, don't care when you start it. It seems how it's trending. They were talking about it during the BYU game that the West Coast Conference has gone the other way to help and protect Gonzaga's strength of schedule. That's because they've, they've threatened to bolt. Right. They've taken 18 down <laughs> to 16. But then they were listing all the conferences who have either added or will add games and it's pretty comprehensive because the leagues have gotten so big because of football, and you got to maintain the basketball rivalries, and nobody wants to play any non-conference games. So just play conference games and uh, keep and the rivalries it seems going. It's not fair enough. Majerus used to say the greatest form of fairness was the conference schedule, the double round robin, home and yeah. home with everybody. Yeah, and, and they may get some it. guys injured, but uh, you know, right? You but he was in a ten-team league and there were yeah. eighteen games, and, and you, you knew at the end it. of that. And yeah, he always he loved that. He always valued regular season title over conference tournament title. And he had credibility because he won both many times over, so he can get away with saying it. Uh, And that's and so the Arizona schools are not coming to Utah next year or or Colorado this year. It doesn't make any sense. The uh, Husky Cougar, the Washington trip, may end up being the easiest combo. Well, Washington's decent. No, well, the two teams that are looking at the bottom are Cal and Washington State. I get that. But Stanford looks really good. 13-2. and two. They are 13-2 and two right now, yes. All right, so a little college there. The Aggies are playing Nevada. they got to snap a three-game conference losing streak. Uh, 5.30 pregame show with Scotty G. Game tips off at 6 o'clock for CBS Sports Network, who just re-upped with the Mountain West Conference for a tidy little sum. Well, good for them. They about tripled their money. Getting into three, four million, and gets, our Boise has its own spiel on the home games and all. <clears throat> and, and the good thing about that is those are the teams you're competing with, by and large. And the good thing for all of us is we can find that network. And they're going to do more games apparently in this new deal. Are they going to more games? What are we speaking of? Well, there's some weeks that they would only have one game. I think they're going to have some double headers now in football. Oh, football. Okay. And and I, but I think they've added more basketball too. So. I said about 10 more in, in those sports. So, good. Put more of them out there. Get the best games on. And, and the Aggies have been pretty good in football and basketball. So, most of the time, they're in there. They had that one year they were down. They had a bunch of games on Facebook. Correct. But they'll have a lot of those games on CBS Sports. And then they still have that deal for the teams along I-25. They have the games on uh, AT&T Sportsnet. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. so, when the Aggies are playing Wyoming or CSU or Air Force mm-hmm. or whatever, we can pick those up too. So For sure. Yeah. It works out. 
All right, we talked a little bit of NFL playoffs. The NFC game's more appealing than the AFC games. The AFC, the Chiefs and the Ravens are both 10-point favorites. Baltimore, 10 points over the Titans Saturday night, and the Chiefs, 10 points over Houston Sunday afternoon. But in the NFC, five- and seven-point spreads there. The Niners by seven over the Vikings. That game is Saturday afternoon. And the Eagles... Knocked out by Seattle. So Seattle's at Green Bay, and Seattle's a five-point underdog against the Pack at Lambeau. Where, you know, it used, they used to have an awesome home record at Lambeau in the playoffs. I think they had like a 13-game winning streak, and now they're 4-4 four and four in their last eight. Aaron Rodgers is 3-2 and two at home in the playoffs. It is not as formidable as it once was. Yeah, I think it's the quality of the team, not the venue. Is there enough quality to beat the Seattle Seahawks? I think so. But there's also enough quality to beat the Packers. One thing about Green Bay and San Francisco is they both played a lot of close games. A lot of one-possession games. And the Niners have played a lot of games that have literally come down to the final play. A couple of them in regulation, a couple of them in overtime. But they've been in some really tight games this year. So what what does that mean? That's one thing, but what does that mean? I think it means that they'll be in a tight game again here in the playoffs. And so one play can beat them. So to know this team's going to win, that team's going to win, I don't, I don't see how you can know that when you're going in with a team that plays a lot of one-possession games and basically splits them. Yeah, I don't think that the Seahawks have split one-possession games. I think their record is just uh, outstanding in one-possession games this year. You can go look that up. What is Green Bay's? I don't know. I didn't know about Seattle. I think Green Bay. Um, well, I think Green Bay's pretty good in the one-possession games as well. I know they got blown out by the Niners, and they haven't lost that many games. They've lost three games. And in the Niners, they just got wrecked. Remember that year that they, who was it, Steve Young was getting hammered? They yeah. took him out in mid-series? Yeah, it was Philadelphia at home, and he went over and yelled at George Seifert oh, from behind him on the sideline. Yeah. He swore. <laughs> he said big ones. Wow. Fetch. Yeah. yeah. And then they went and won the Super Bowl. It was bonding. Brought it together. They subbed him out in the middle of a series. He won't drink, but he can swear. There it is. All right, and we talked a little Utah Jazz. Seven straight wins. Can they make it eight in a row against Charlotte? Charlotte was uh, a little below average when they played the Jazz a few weeks ago back in Charlotte. And that was the start of a slide for them. They lost eight out of ten. I think that was the second game in a six-game losing they streak suck. for Charlotte. Nick Batum ain't walking through that door. Would that fix everything if he did? <laughs> Whose fault is it, PK? And be careful which columnist you tell this to. Jordan. Yeah. He sucked in Washington. He sucked in Charlotte. <laughs> Having a long run that isn't very good here in Charlotte. Larry Johnson ain't walking through that door. He's not? Muggsy Bogues ain't walking Well, he that would, door. but you just wouldn't see him. He'd be so short. Okay, good point. I mean, once they didn't sign Frank Kaminsky, I thought something's something's going on there. Frank Kaminsky, that's your guy? Frank the Tank, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I like Frank Kaminsky. And who was the other white dude that was on Wisconsin's team? Because they beat uh, Arizona in the regional final. Oh, I forget his name. I know who you're talking about. I can see his face. Yeah. He played a little bit with Houston. So when they lose, uh, when they don't go to the playoffs this year, they will have one in the last five years. It'll be four straight years without, you know, four straight years in the lottery of one in five. They'll have two in the last 10 and three trips in the last 15, and they will have been out in the first round every time. And that's pathetic in the NBA. 
to not, you know, going around the first round is another story, but to not get to the postseason when more than half of the teams do, and you're in a conference that sometimes, a lot of times, doesn't even require a 500 record. Uh, when they've gotten in, they have had 43, 44, and 48 wins. Three winning seasons. Yikes! Did you look up that white guy who was on Wisconsin? Come on, man. What's his name? It was Frank the Tank and the other guy. I don't know. I don't know. I remember Frank. There's another dude. He, went, he, was, he was taken in the first round, I think, by Houston. That'll give me something to do during the break. <laughs> Your feedback is coming up next. You're up to speed on the stuff we've been talking about. And it is brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Your feedback next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Member of the Utah Jazz, George Niang. There was a moment several weeks ago where there was some concern about this team. Was there ever any concern in the locker room, or did you guys know eventually this thing was going to get headed in the right direction? We always have confidence, especially with how we work and how hard we work and how close we are. Obviously, we had to figure some things out and make some things happen, but I think you can never underestimate how close a team is. And when a team has great chemistry and they continue to work hard and believe in each other, I mean, that's all you can ask. Obviously, you need talent, but I mean, I mean, we have that from, from top to bottom. It was just us putting it together like a puzzle. I know people were questioning us, but we're rolling now, and we just have to keep doing that. The schedule's going to continue to get tougher, and we're just going to have to keep proving that we're a team that belongs. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. All right, it's time for your feedback, all the stuff you're saying about the show today, and it is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. Kevin says, I just hope they haven't heard of Jay Hill and Pullman. We're trying to keep him hidden up here in Ogden. Oh, they've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Every AD, from my experience, and I don't have a ton of experience with a bunch of ADs, but the ones that I do... They have lists. They've got to. That's the job. Yeah. And they all know what Chris Hill said a long time ago. Either you have to fire a coach and get someone, or someone with more money likes the way he's winning and wants to hire him away, mm-hmm. and then you got to go get a new coach. Yeah. And you know people, you're evaluating people, people tell you about other guys, whatnot, whatever it might be. Tyler says, I think PK was talking about Sam Decker at Wisconsin. I was. Yes, we looked him up. He's only 25 years old. A pup. I, I thought he would be older than that. Doesn't it sound like, didn't it seem like it was 10 years ago that they beat Arizona <laughs> to go to the Final Four? Uh, it doesn't seem Certainly that long five. Ago. Yeah. That's about what it was, wasn't it? I, I closed it out now. I can look though. He's Sam Decker, born in the same town as Rick Majerus. What a small world. It's a lot of basketball in one little town. 2015. So, yeah, it'll be five years this NBA draft. Spot on. Michael Finley was a Wisconsin guy. 
Oh, Michael Finley? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They have not had that many guys drafted. You All right, you got any? You know who was offered right. a basketball scholarship? I do not. No, a fo- excuse me, a football scholarship to Wisconsin. And end up playing basketball and played in the NBA. Offered a football scholarship to Wisconsin. They're on a recruiting visit. Football scholarship. You know him as M, Matt Harpring. Oh, there it is. M, that's right. <laughs> that's going to be a thing. M, M himself. Yes. So Q, he, M. I'm sitting, I was at a lunch, we are having lunch with Matt, and he's telling me this story. He goes on a recruiting trip. Everybody knows he's a quarterback. And he goes to football practice. Or, excuse me. Let's keep screwing it up. He goes to football scholarship. He goes to basketball practice. He says, I can do that. Now, he's already playing high school basketball. It's not like, oh, I'll just pick up the sport. Right? And he said, no, I want to play basketball. And then he, I think he's on a baseball team. And Kremens comes out to baseball. Somebody comes out and said, hey, get into town at Georgia Tech. Get into town because he's in Atlanta. And get into Bobby's office. He goes into Bobby's office. He says, there's a lot of lot of pressure on me to offer you a scholarship. I'll offer you a scholarship, but don't plan on playing. You'll be on a team, but I don't I don't think you'll play. So if you want it, you can have it. So he takes it. Game one is freshman year. He's in the starting lineup. He just kicked everybody's ass game during practice. Game senior year. All four years. He started every freaking game. You're not going to play. Then <laughs> practice starts. He's just kicking butt and taking names. <laughs> yeah, you're going to play. <laughs> the first game. What a story Harvering has. And then... Good work by when, Bobby Kremens. Well, and Kremens became his guy because when Matt signed with here, one of the guys who said, yes, you must sign here, you was wanna, Bobby Kremens. Because Bobby said, you want to go play for Jerry. Yes. Yeah. He said, yes, you will fit well in there. I want you to sign there. So he signs there. He told a funny story I can remember. I think it was years later. He told a story about how... When he came, he still didn't believe. Because, you know, in Philly, it was all about Allen Iverson, right? Correct. And so you run an offense, and you cut, and you. but if you come open, Iverson's still probably going to, you know, pull up and take a jumper. And they were, I think it was during OTAs. I don't even think Sloan was there yet. It was OTAs, and Carl said, hey, you got to cut there, and then I hit you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> so he cuts, and he turns his head, and like, the ball was just like, boom, right there. He's like, oh, he's serious. Although M did appreciate playing with uh, Iverson. He, you know, he usually speaks highly or yep. did speak highly of him. Well, it's a good thing that he didn't do the baseball or football thing. He ended up 11 years in the NBA before the body broke down. I know. I mean, he, yeah. was, he was still playing well. He just couldn't play. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had the ankles could've, issues Could have ended up with just, a 15-year uh, career. Yeah, his body literally gave out on him, so he couldn't continue or else. Because he was in his early 30s, I think. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Tony and Austin are coming up next. We'll see you Sunday night on Talking Sports. Enjoy the playoff games. And we'll be back here Monday morning from 6 to 10 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.